0: Today's moment of digital workplace inspiration offers you insight into how your organization can save time, reduce frustration, and improve the employee experience. There are many processes your business relies on for success, and now they no longer need to be time-consuming to administer or frustrating to complete. WorkGrid's workflow functionality provides a robust, easy-to-use platform for automating task-based processes without the need for your IT department. And workflows, of course, are ideal for onboarding, performance reviews, even daily in-office health verifications. Workflows can also bring collaborators together from various departments, creating a unified flow of work that's easy to administer and seamless to complete. For more information, including a great guide, visit workgrid.com slash workflows, or follow the link in the show notes. And now on to today's episode.
1: The reality is people were working in a lot of variety of places before the pandemic, but now that organizations are getting their heads around this idea that on any given day, a significant portion of a team won't be co-located, they're just taking a fresh look at what it means to really maintain a healthy, vibrant culture that isn't isn't place-dependent, but that their places still can strengthen and build upon it.
2: And I think that the, the, the policies and the behaviors and the best practices and and those really kind of communicated and defined and like. Understood norms and rules of engagement, like that has to be really broadly communicated and it has to be shared. As a culture, we have to understand what is the built environment for? What is Slack for? What are the rules of engagement in, in the context of a meeting when, you know, 60% of the team is distributed? So I think, yeah, right there, I think it's, it's really about the behaviors and the policies uh, to, to, to really kind of educate and, and show, like, well, how do we use these tools? I mean, it's going to be super critical.
3: So often people think that workplace is a physical physical facility, an office, and you just kind of build something and they will come, right? And and um, and then that will solve all of our problems. And really, I think that workplace, especially post-pandemic, is much more about how you're helping people to connect to other people, to the work that they're doing, to the company that they're working for in their purpose. And, and that's really what's going to help drive engagement, help drive culture, help drive, you know, all of these other things that are important for us to be successful.
0: Today, I had a chance to meet with three fascinating executives as part of today's Digital Workplace Impact podcast. DWG's longtime friend and strategic partner, Ryan Anderson. Ryan, of course, is the VP of Global Research and Insights at Herman Miller, And as part of the conversation, Ryan introduced us to two leading workplace practitioners, namely Susie Yaud, who is the senior manager of workplace experience for Braze, and Eric Kerr, who's a program manager of workplace planning at DoorDash. And the focus of our discussion was to explore aspects of a big question. Where will we work and how as we emerge into a world shaped by a pandemic? And we spoke about this in terms of key challenges, top priorities, leading practices, cross-functional collaboration, and sage words of advice. Collectively, we agreed that we're moving from a war room mentality centered around urgency of need around the digital workplace to one that is much more about speed with direction what i term velocity and that's as digital workplace leaders emerge more and more as change leaders who are helping pave the way for a new workplace experience that considers people places tools purpose, policies, leadership, and much more. Join me now for a fascinating exploration with Ryan, Susie, and Eric. Happy listening. So Ryan, of course, it's great to have a chance to reconnect with you through Digital Workplace Impact. Welcome to the studio today.
1: Thank you, Nancy. It's good to be back. I appreciate the long history of collaboration I've had the chance to have with Digital Workplace Group.
0: And of course, um, by special request, you've brought two leading workplace practitioners along with you today. Tell us a little bit about why you asked them to join in our conversation.
1: Yeah, well, first and foremost, I asked them to join because they're people that I enjoy talking with and learning from and listening to. And uh, of course, leading the, the research effort at Herman Miller, I mean, our team gets paid to go do good research and come up with good insights and share them. But I love having the chance to talk with people like Susie and Eric who put this stuff into practice. You're right. They're leading practitioners. And it's, it's tough uh, when you're maintaining the operations of a workplace to go out and learn new things and apply them. But I think both these, uh, these friends do an excellent job.
0: Fantastic. And I think, you know, we run in very similar circles. Most of the conversations that I have tend to be behind closed doors within DWG's member forum. And it's been really exciting for me. Um, as of this spring to start having conversations like these to be able to share within our wider circles. And so Susie and Eric, it's just great to have a chance to meet with you and to chat with you today. And I'm sending you a big warm welcome from the DWG team.
2: Awesome. Thanks for having us.
0: And so, Ryan, I think it's important for us to start off with a big question for you, and then we can bring Susie and Eric into the conversation. And so uh, that starter question is, where do you think we'll be working as we emerge into a world that's been shaped by a global pandemic?
1: Yeah, well, my my short answer would be, we'll increasingly work where we want to work. Um, the, you know, the the big kind of overarching trend here, which has been at work, for a long time before the pandemic is really distributed working, which just refers to how work is spread out across a lot of locations. And that really began to happen when we saw most people transition from using desktops to laptops. So I remember back in maybe 2004, 2005, seeing people um, putting Wi-Fi into their facilities and seeing people leaving their desks to go work in other places for the first time in a really long time. And so work has been getting spread out, basically, more distributed for a long time, either within a building or within a city or across the world. I think uh, the reality was that most organizations didn't have strategies for really supporting distributed work. They may have had a telecommuting strategy for those that were were solely remote, 100% remote. But now organizations are not just revisiting the idea and realizing that hybrid working or allowing people to work in a variety of locations makes sense for employees, but for a lot of organizations it was kind of a reality before the pandemic brought it to their attention so we saw this pendulum swing happen in 2020 and early this year where organizations, by and large, went from maybe being skeptical about working remotely to thinking, wow, no, this is very viable, you know, even to the point of asking, do we need offices back in the fall? And then most realize, yeah, we're gonna need offices too because remote working isn't necessarily a panacea and have landed on this idea of hybrid, meaning they're gonna uh, provide choice to employees and then choices. And increasingly, this will be an employee-centric decision you know, organizations can't take into account the huge range of factors that might cause someone to be productive in a given location on a given day. So they're moving towards allowing the employee to make that decision to enable that person to be as productive and as healthy as possible. And we think that's a good thing. We Actually, we, we foresaw this future. We certainly did not think that a pandemic was going to be the catalyst for it. But, um, We're really optimistic about it. So there'll be a wide variety of locations, including office, home, co-working, planes, self-driving cars, and beyond.
0: Well, that's a great way to start off the conversation. And of course, we know that our audience loves to hear living examples of what practitioners are doing in our space. And so I think this is the perfect perfect opportunity to bring in Susie and Eric to ask for you to share how your respective organizations are seeing things in this space. Maybe Susie, we can start with you and you can share a little bit about how Braze is thinking things through.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, and real quick, Ryan, I just really appreciate your thoughts there. It's interesting to think about how work um, in the past has been so single faceted. You, you get up, you go to work, then you come home. And now work is, is more a part of life. It's a part of what we do. And at Braze specifically, we still really believe in the power of in-person connection. And Uh, the importance of being able to see the whites of someone's eyes, so to say. Um, But at the same time, we understand that uh, different people work in different ways. There's a lot of Differences in terms of neurodiversity, uh, people's home situations, and then obviously with the pandemic, there's just been a lot of empathy around, uh, you know, people's work-life balance that has has come forward. And so at Braze, we're taking an approach where we're uh, we're kind of splitting things up a little bit, where there are some roles uh, that really require in-person. Um, and in office attendance. And um, so there are some people who may need to come into the office four or five days a week, um, but there are some roles where that's not the case. And then we also have some people who um, will be fully remote because they don't necessarily have or aren't close to uh, one of our offices around the world. And so um, hopefully here pretty soon, we're still trying to iron out the details. We're working to uh, understand who's gonna fit into that full in office category who's going to kind of fit into that hybrid uh spot and and they will have an opportunity there's a spectrum there and so people will have an opportunity to kind of self-identify what that means for them um more from a data collection perspective than necessarily locking people into, um, a certain category of, of how often they come into the office and then, um, you know, who's kind of full remote. And even when they're full remote, how can we, um, bring them in every once in a while, uh, to either one of our celebrations or bringing them into an office through travel so that we can still have some of that in-person connection. So hopefully that made sense. It's it's pretty much a really wide variety, but it is a hybrid model where um, we're essentially allowing people to choose what works for them as long as it aligns with the scope of their role as uh, and their team needs. Um, and we're hoping that we can, we're, we're calling it remote friendly is kind of how we're um, thinking about it and um, trying to make sure that people can really hone into what works best for them and works best for the team and what works best for the company as we uh, move forward and kind of figure out what's working, what's not working and iterate over time.
0: That makes perfect sense, Susie. I think increasingly the idea is that it's not about where you work, it's about how you work. And the role of digital workplace practitioners needs to evolve in line with helping to support that shift. Um, so, the element of people has become such an important part of the equation. You hit the nail on the head talking about this empathy factor that's come up. Of course, I would add well being to the mix. Let's bring in um, Eric to get a little bit of a flavor from DoorDash's point of view as well.
2: Absolutely. Uh, um, yeah. Well, thank you, first and foremost, for, for having me here, uh, Ryan. Thank you for the invitation and, and the kind words. Um, and Susie, always lovely to, to share space with you and, and chat all things workplace. Um, you know, I think from, from the DoorDash perspective, you know, very much like um, what Susie was describing at Braze, and I think for many companies, we're trying to figure it out. You know, I think there's not a one-size-fits-all solution. And I think that every company kind of needs to do a little bit of soul-searching and then ask themselves the, the questions of, well, why? Like, well, well, what is the purpose of place? You know, why do we need to go into the office? Um, and really kind of get very clear with with, with some of those answers. Um, you know, we're allowing kind of teams to kind of figure out what works best for them. You know, we, we have recently announced that we will be a hybrid company. I think what that means specifically is a, still a big TBD. And I think there's going to be a lot of learning. And, and iteration. But from a workplace standpoint, um, you know, I've only been with the company since September of last year. Um, but what I've been focusing on is, uh, and this kind of links back to your, your earlier question um, for Ryan about the you know, kind of being in the wake of the pandemic, I think that the the pandemic really kind of shook things up in a way that we were all just kind of going through the motions. We were just kind of doing things just to do them because it's the way that we've always done them. Um, And I think that it's really given us an opportunity to kind of take pause and to to reassess. Uh, And for those of us in workplace, I mean, these are things that we've been talking about for a while. This is not new information, but it's been exciting to actually talk to people in leadership and HR and kind of these other facets of kind of the workplace ecosystem on all the ways in which um, the built environment, specifically, but also technology and, and, and policies and all of these things, can really be you know revamped and refreshed to support this kind of new distributed way of working. Um, so yeah, the long story short, you know, we're we're trying to figure it out. Um, uh, there's some really exciting uh, challenges and opportunities ahead of us, but uh, it's uh, you
0: know moving forward. And I think this this notion, Eric, of uh, groups needing to come together across HR and technology and uh, procurement and facilities management and the like to think holistically about (laughs) what the employee experience needs to be. And then Mm -hmm. the wider workplace experience is something that seems to be taking quite a lot of prominence in the conversation these days. And certainly that's not without its challenges, but, um, Years ago, you tended to see a lot of fiefdoms in this (laughs) digital workplace arena, and now you have everyone coming together on an emergent and urgent basis to try to solve this puzzle in a way that will work for all. So Mm. interesting times, to say the very least, and yes, lots of learnings to follow. And so, Ryan, when we start to have conversations like this, it's very natural to start to say, as a precursor to all the learning that Eric has talked about, we start to see some specific concerns or issues start to emerge. So recognizing that you've got a really strong vantage view of what's going on in and around the hybrid workplace through the lens of your clients, both current and prospective, what do you see as the chief concerns taking us into you know, the next six, eight, ten months.
1: Sure. Yeah, there's a variety of them. And you're right. I've you know, we we talk with lots of organizations around the world. I've personally had conversations with oh well over a hundred in the last six months, and we're also a founding member of a group called Future Forum, along with Slack and Boston Consulting Group, Fortune Magazine and other. And, and so what what I'm observing is that organizations are trying to hone in on what those top issues are. It's almost as if they're trying to fit 10 years worth of conversation into 10 months because this transition towards more flexible working or what we're now calling hybrid, um, as I mentioned, that we think it would have happened. I just don't think it would have happened at this rate. And so the challenge for organizations is prioritizing. What do we, what do we focus on? What don't we, Um, to your earlier point, Uh, it's definitely a group effort. We've seen a lot more CEOs um, and in particular HR leaders. In fact, we've seen more HR involvement in workplace in the last six months than we have at any point in history and um, IT legal and a host of others. If I had to hone in on very specific issues, I mean, the the top one is just what, what exactly is the right balance of flexibility? Um, I think there's, Lots of data to indicate that people want a lot more flexibility in their work. Um, Through our work with Future Forum, we do a 10,000-person survey. And interestingly, 76% of the people that responded said they wanted more flexibility with where they could work. 93% said they wanted more flexibility with when they could work because um, I think what we've – you know faced this last year is that people are getting burned out and the over-reliance on synchronous meeting technology is causing people to feel like they they don't have the work life balance that Susie alluded to earlier so flexibility is at the top of of that list and organizations are trying to figure out what they're comfortable with. There's some organizations that have said to employees, hey, um, we'll hold you accountable for your goals, but it's on you. Like you decide uh, when you want to work, where you want to work. That, you know, that may be a bit too much for some organizations. I hear the term guideposts and guardrails a lot from HR leaders saying, let's give good guidance, but also let's put some boundaries in place, which I think makes a lot of sense. And so organizations are wrestling with, um, to what extent they really want to deliver that flexibility, knowing that people want it and knowing that it's a really, really tough um, job market and that nobody wants to lose employees because the employees perceive their organization as not being you know, friendly to their work-life balance. Um, the second issue would be around the role of, of uh, physical offices. At least that's what I get asked about the most. Um, most organizations have realized that they need to think of workplace as not just one place, um, but that it's a continuum of places and that any corporate real estate portfolio that they're going to maintain is essentially becoming an on-demand resource that needs to be desirable and interesting and solve for, for really important issues like community building um, that are tough to achieve, totally, totally remote. Um, but actually, probably the single biggest uh, thing that I'm asked about the most is culture. Uh, So what does it look like to maintain a healthy culture for distributed teams? What does it look like if you've got some people that are co-located and other people that are remote, either permanently or on a given day? What does it look like to maintain those strong bonds? And as I alluded to before... The reality is people were working in a lot of variety of places before the pandemic, but now that organizations are getting their heads around this idea that on any given day, a significant portion of the team won't be co-located, they're just taking a fresh look at what it means to really maintain a healthy, vibrant culture that isn't isn't place-dependent but that their places still can strengthen and build upon it. So it's, it's a wide range of issues. I could probably tell you another 20, um, but I think those are the ones that most organizations are realizing they need to align on in terms of their beliefs before they can begin making more specific decisions.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I know you're someone who thinks about things, uh, patterns over time. So this time last year, what would you say just in a nutshell were the key challenges just by contrast? Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm sorry, and I you asked that and I forgot to answer it. It, It's been like this amazing pendulum swing. (laughs) So um, before the pandemic, if we were to go to like January, February of, of 2020, organizations felt like, by and large, they were in a rhythm. There was quite a bit of interest in improving their workplaces, but it was all within, like, this really tight set of assumptions that date back to the era of desktop computing, that, hey, people people still come into the office to do their work, and each person has an assigned place where they'll do most of their individual work. Some were moving beyond that, particularly in other parts of the world, like Australia and Western Europe. But by the time, you know, July... Uh, rolled around so about a year ago, um, organizations had realized that remote working was possible that their people could main product, uh, maintain their productivity. Um, lots of questions um, in the digital transformation arena. You know, a lot of organizations who had been planning on a deployment of Slack or Teams or Mural or Trello had um, you know had to rapidly accelerate that. So there were lots of concerns about end user adoption, whether or not people were going to figure this out, and people as I mentioned, we're beginning to ask the question, do we we need any offices? In fact, we saw some organizations very quickly move to divest themselves of their corporate real estate uh, and many of them uh, ended up regretting it, I think. And so the pendulum continued through 2020 to the point where um, a a greater sense of balance uh, was achieved. And uh, uh, if I look at maybe the last six months, I think organizations, as they land on hybrid, are now beginning to ask questions like, how do we not let our digital transformations uh, reverse, right? So if we've got people using tools to have their content in the cloud, how do you prevent that from migrating back to a whiteboard or foam core in a room? If you've got people that have gotten really good at communicating across distance, how do you make sure that people that are co-located aren't kind of forming clicks or accidentally excluding somebody from their conversation? So um, it continues to evolve. But this time last year, I really feel like it was a bit chaotic. And now organizations are beginning to align on a longer term, longer term vision of what, what they need to do.
0: Yeah, I think that's well said. And and I would just tie it up as follows and say, last year felt like we were all operating in a war room environment uh, with a great sense of urgency. Now I'm seeing the idea of velocity. And when I say velocity, I mean speed with direction.
1: Yeah. I think that's right. I do think there is a percentage of organizations out there that are um, still thinking that, you know, it, life will be somewhat similar to pre-pandemic, and there's others that have that velocity that you've talked about, and I think what we're going to see is a major um, showdown for talent play out. I mean, there's already hashtags like the Great Resignation, right? There were 4 million people in the yes, U.S. Yes. that resigned in, in April alone. Um And I think the data indicates that by and large, employees want to work for organizations that give them more flexibility. So it'll be really interesting as IT, HR, real estate leaders come together around the topic of talent and what it means to keep really good talent and not lose out in this job market in the next six months. And that probably will be one of the reasons why HR continues to be probably permanently really deeply involved in these conversations.
0: Yeah, I think that's well said. So Eric, let's bring you into the conversation next. From a DoorDash point of view, how do you see your organization adjusting to some of these challenges that Ryan has just talked about?
2: Yeah, uh, there was numerous times while Ryan was speaking that I wanted to interject, uh, but I was trying to be <laughs> respectful. Uh, lots to unpack there. I, yeah, I think that there's a few things I wanna, I wanna highlight um, that Ryan called out um, very eloquently, I, I may add. Specifically around kind of the culture piece, the kind of the, the tools, technology, the built environment, I think that that there has historically been this assumption that that if you just put a bunch of people into an office, culture just magically happens. And, you know, I think we, we all went through that phase where we, you know, we were trying to dispel these myths that culture was the food and the ping pong table. And I think hopefully we've, we've moved past that. And it's been interesting to see, you know, with with companies like DoorDash, I mean, we've, we've doubled in size during the course of the pandemic. So, you know, I started remotely. My experience of working for this company has always been within this distributed kind of remote experience. So I think, you know, with this desire or kind of this move, this velocity back towards, um, the built environment. I think that they're they're we're falling back into, and and I and I speak more broadly, not just DoorDash. I'm seeing this kind of across the board, that that there is this kind of like. It's easier to go back to what was than it is to actually do the work to move forward, and I, I feel like we're reverting back to, oh, if we just get people back into the office, the culture will just happen, and I and that really really concerns me, and it's something that that internally I've been trying to just be a little bit more vocal of of, of really expressing the need for the, for this to be intentional. Like we need to have these intentional reasons for going back. Culture needs to be built intentionally, and what are the things that we're doing to Ryan's point to make sure that that our workforce, which is now just Distributed feels connected and bound to, 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 to the company and to the mission and the values and, and culture. Um, so I'm seeing, you know, with, with some of the people, you know, some of our offices are, are currently open, um, limited capacity, and you know, depending on the, the region. And I'm seeing these kind of early adopters, I like to call them, that, that have, have been very quick to return back to the office. And they're definitely reverting back into these old ways of being. Um, and as Ryan mentioned it's like you know they, I'm, I'm jumping on zoom calls and seeing people in a conference room like 20 feet away from the camera at the end of the table and you know it just already they're kind of falling back in these old ways um, that I, I think is 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 problematic and it's something that, that needs to be addressed sooner than rather than later because it's just going to create more of a rift and more of a divide you know as we become more distributed. So yeah, so I, those are those are kind of the big things that I that, that kind of stood out to me in, in what Ryan was describing, and, and things that really resonate for for what I've been seeing um, recently at DoorDash specifically.
0: And I almost think, just in response to what you've just described, Eric, we, we need to be thinking about meeting experiences, most especially, because that's where you're likely to see the bounce back effect that you were talking about, um, taking hold more and more. And, you know, people have been struggling with meeting facilitation and meeting planning for years, <laughs> yes. you know, adding the technology shift um, to uh-huh. Zoom calls and what have you just, you know, adds to that challenge.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
0: you know, as we look at the talent agenda going forward, the other challenge that I would throw out to the HR community uh, in particular is to start to invest in that time um, and care of uh, helping people plan and execute meetings well. And there's a level of sensitivity training that needs to go along with that um, in order to achieve some of the, the healthy cultural items that we've been talking about so we don't end up in a digital divide between the haves and the have-nots, right? The the ones who are in the office versus the ones who are out of the office, whether it's because they're road warriors or uh, working from home on an extended basis. Um, yeah. So it's not just about investing in the technology. It's, it's really taking that critical look at organizational readiness mm-hmm. and what that means um, across the board for individual teams and organizations. And then within that, thinking about how the leadership dynamic um, needs to change and and the meeting element that facilitation and planning is part of that.
2: One hundred percent. And I the one thing I will tack on to that is that, you know, the office is a tool. Slack is a tool. Zoom is a tool. These are all tools. They're not gonna just solve the problem um, on their own. And I think that the that, that, that the policies and the behaviors and the best practices and, and those really kind of communicated and defined and like understood norms and rules of engagement like that has to be really broadly communicated and it has to be shared as a culture we have to understand what is the built environment for? What is Slack for? What are the rules of engagement in, in the context of a meeting when, you know, 60% of the team is distributed? So I think, yeah, right there, I think it's it's really about the behaviors and the policies uh, to, to, to really kind of educate and, and show like, well, how do we use these tools? I think it's going to be super critical.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, I'll just add that part of our work at Herman Miller is we've been retraining all of our own work team leaders to better prepare for hybrid working. In fact, we had 200 um, of our own people leaders on a, a call yesterday where we were talking about some key things. And like many organizations, we've become overly reliant on meetings and overly reliant upon synchronous technologies in general. So as we as we look at a Slack or we're a Teams um, shop, people need to get much more comfortable with interacting on Teams channels or using chat for a variety of reasons. One is overscheduling people um, is not the most inclusive uh, approach, particularly for those that have caregiving responsibilities or those that may be in different time zones. But additionally, um, if you get in the habit of putting important things in Slack or in Teams channels, you get, uh, you can kind of buffer out some of these challenging uh, experiences like when there's a meeting and then two people meet in the hallway afterwards and say, Hey, you know, I'm really thinking about this. Like organizations need to get in the habit of then going and putting that back out in a team's channel or a slack channel and saying hey we had a little chat after the meeting and this is what we're thinking because real quickly um this over-reliant on synchronous meetings when some people are on video and some people are in the facility can be exhaustive and um and and marginalize the experience for those that aren't in the space you just can't go you just can't take it too far
0: and I would add a couple of layers in here to say when you start to venture into more of this asynchronous communication, it actually invites conversation on a global level. It's really hard to do that with conference calls when you've got a team sitting around the world because you're inclu- excluding someone at some point. That would be thing one. And thing two is, you know, I think about it from a diversity point of view, uh, especially on a cognitive level because, you know, sometimes introverts need time to think before they respond to things. And again, sometimes you can't really do that on the spot in a meeting framework. But yet, if you allow for some of these other channels, teams, or Slack to be the center of conversation and ideation and problem solving, you actually invite another layer of conversation into the mix.
1: Yeah. Actually, Stanford did this really interesting um, study back. It was Professor Erickson back in 2010, where they took two groups of students in a brainstorming kind of situation, and they took one group and put them in a room for an hour and said, all right, everyone come up with new ideas with the belief that, you know, people build on each other's ideas, traditional brainstorming. Then they took the other group and they said, all right, for the first half an hour, each of you think separately about new ideas. And then the second half an hour, we'll share them. So it wasn't totally asynchronous, but basically it gave people the chance to think about what they were going to discuss before they got into a conversation together. That second group did far better. I don't don't remember the exact factor, but something like 2.7 times the number of uh, what were deemed quality, good, innovative ideas out of that second group. So you're right. Like for me, I will not get a bunch of people on a call uh, to talk about something that nobody's ever thought of. Like you have to be able to at least plant the seed, get the conversation rolling um, before you then get people together at the same time. It's just a much more productive way of working.
0: And Susie, I'll pause here just to bring you back in. Cause I'm sure you're chomping at the bit to share some reactions to you know? <laughs> what Ryan has shared.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, I wish you could see my, see me right now. I'm, I think I'm getting a neck kink just from nodding so much. And I'm like doing the snaps cause everything that Ryan and Eric are saying, I just, it just resonates with me so much. Um, especially around, uh, Eric, what you were saying about the culture piece and, you know this this idea that uh, people will very quickly fall back into old habits, and that's a scary thing. And I completely agree with that. And I think, for me, I was recently having a conversation internally about workplace experience and us kind of rethinking and redefining what it looks like and what it means. And um, and one of the ways that I kind of described workplace uh, is that it, it's about connection. Um, it's, it's about connecting people to each other. It's about connecting people to, um, the work that they're doing and and connecting people to the brand of the company that they work for. And so often people think that workplace is a physical facility in an office and you just kind of build something and they will come right. And, and, um, and then that will solve all of our problems. And really, I think that workplace, especially post-pandemic, is much more about how you're helping people to connect to other people, to the work that they're doing, to the company that they're working for in their purpose. And, and that's really what's going to help drive engagement, help drive culture, help drive, you know, all of these other things that are important for us to be successful. You know, at Braze, I think we're, we're kind of going back to what Eric was saying in the TBD, you know, we're, we're really trying to rethink what is workplace experience and how do we approach this differently now that we're thinking broader, right? We're not just thinking about a physical space, we're thinking about the people. Um, and so it's, uh, I, I think there's a lot that we're still trying to figure out, but a lot of our focus is going to be around people and choices and it's going to be around the data that we're collecting to understand our people whether that's quantitative whether that's qualitative Um, but using that to help us begin to see trends over time but also to help us start forecasting a little more with a little more integrity what changes could look like in the future, because we're trying to move from this place of being very reactive, especially being in the pandemic, to being much more proactive um, with intention, like Eric was saying, um, and and being very purposeful about some of the things that we're communicating or the decisions that we're making.
0: And I know this is going to sound like it's uh, a little bit of a a right-hand turn, but one of the things that I'm thinking about as I'm listening to this conversation is um, this, this notion of the TBDs and how do you figure out what those are and plan for those variables and then, you know, nurture what needs to come out of them. And, um, earlier this year, our CEO and founder, Paul Miller, along with my colleague, Shimri Janes, who's our director of research, published a new book called The Nature of Work. And um, it's got some really fascinating questions um, that are wrapped around a series of 12 elements. And, and I could just see that it could be such a powerful tool for, for both of you and the work that you're doing. I know Ryan's already been exposed to um, The Nature of Work as, as a, a new way of thinking about the workplace experience as a whole. So I'll make sure that both of you get copies of the book and, and we can uh, we can have a separate conversation about what that means and how to use it as another tool in your uh, professional toolkit as we go along. But in the meantime, awesome. Ryan, yeah, I love yeah. I-, I love a book club. I love a book club. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually what we're building as part of the discussion. So we'll we'll have lots more to talk about after this episode. But in the meantime, I don't want to lose tabs on on our main conversation. So Ryan, I'll bring you back in to just ask you for a read on how you think we'll be organizing works. Spaces differently going forward in light of everything that we've been talking about so far.
1: Sure Well, as I mentioned we need to begin to think about them as more on-demand and far less generic um offices particularly in that era of desktop computing got super generic it was like people were expected to do all their individual work at a desk and then in many parts of the world those became very open small desks and conference rooms you know traditional conference room long skinny table screen on a small wall whiteboard on a big wall became extremely generic uh catch-alls for doing group work and that's not what we're going to see near as much of in the future so we've um we've taken a look at how organizations have treated this over the years. And we've done quite a bit of experimentation ourselves, put some very specific recommendations on our website, which on our future of work hub, which is just literally hermanmiller.com forward slash future of work. And we've honed in on um, a couple of things that are worth thinking about at a community level it's important that the space connects um, different groups. So a lot of organizations are telling us that the individual teams within the company or within the organization feel quite connected. But between groups, there's a real loss of community. Um, what what sociologists would call weak ties, you know, our extended network. So you might know everything about, you know, your teammates' pets and homes at this point, but there's dozens or hundreds of people that you might not have had the chance to connect with that help to form your sense of community, helped you to grow, help you to know what's going on in other parts of the organization. And so a lot of spaces around community socialization, which often feel very hospitality-like, you know, coffee bar, um, hangout sort of spaces, usually in major areas of circulation. And then for teams, those close work teams the the office of the future needs to provide a lot better spaces for longer duration collaboration what might be considered on sites so you know doing anything more than an hour or two on zoom is rough so having project rooms as an example or having team neighborhoods where a team has ownership over a distinct part of uh, of a space, can be really, really helpful because it gives people the chance to spend higher levels of time, sometimes scheduled, sometimes unscheduled. It's not, neighborhoods are also a nice way of helping to give people some assurance that if they come into the office, they'll be able to see their people because it's kind of funny when we talk to employees it's kind of like, yeah, I would like to go to the office. I'd like to see a bunch of people that I don't know, but I'm not going to go in unless there's somebody that I'm close to. It's kind of like going to a party. You're like, yeah, I'd love to go to the party, but I need, I need one of my friends to go with me. So neighborhood-based planning is one of those ways of saying, come on in, and you might not know on a given day who's there, but if your team owns a little neighborhood, not just individual desks, but some huddle spaces or project spaces, that it feels like you've got your clubhouse and you've got your place to, to um, take root. And then the last thing sometimes surprises people, but um, we're highly recommending that offices add in areas for individual focus. We have this work from home tool, which is just wf.hermamiller.com. We've had about 20,000 people globally use it. Number one thing people say that they're struggling with at home is focused concentration. And some of that might be pandemic related because kids were learning at home, et cetera, but a lot of it's, Um, Just the distractions of life, you know, living in a small condo with a partner or maybe it's young kids at home or spotty Wi-Fi or any number of things. So we've made recommendations that organizations begin to have just some shared private spaces where people can go. You know, if you've got two hours where you have to get into that spreadsheet because you've got a big presentation, you need the assurance that you've got somewhere somewhere where you can really get that done whenever you need it. So what that kind of nets out to is, if you look at offices that are planned this way, it's not a sea of open desks and generic conference rooms. It's neighborhoods, it's a a much wider variety of different types of spaces. But ultimately, they're just more desirable. And I'll tell you, we are constantly evolving our own spaces, but we just redid the primary facility that I work from when I go in. I live about 45 minutes from it. I typically, over the years, have gone in maybe two days a week. I just went in, and the space is killer. It's so good that I turned to one of my colleagues and I said, I think I'm going to come here even more than I expected. So that's the key. You got to have spaces that people really find value in, and if so... Um, You get a better return on your real estate investments, but more importantly, you support your employees in better ways.
3: I think with that, I think we've been talking a lot about the rules of engagement, and I think what will really help people come in and want to come in is them understanding how to use different spaces. Like, for example, I really love a library environment. I I used to do my focus work at the New York Public Library because I could have the energy of all of the people around me, but I knew that no one was going to bug me and I could just have some heads down focus work. And so first, I love, Ryan, what you were saying about providing focus work in offices, I think that's incredibly important because we focus so much on collaboration in the past however many years that I think it's also important for us to balance it with focus. But um, I I think beyond that, it's helping people to understand how to use each of these different types of spaces or how we're changing the way that we're organizing workspaces so that it actually is a a seamless or as seamless as possible of a, um, you know, rollout.
2: If I could just jump in as well, Susan, you just had me thinking. I I think that, like, the way I've been framing it, is that we, we need to be re-onboard everybody. Everybody needs to be re-onboarded. Like, if all these changes that we're making, I mean, everything that Ryan described are, are things that I am working on in the context of, of our built environments. But it's like, it, it, I can't just expect people to just show up and know how to use these tools and know how these spaces are supposed to work and, and how they work in tandem with one another. And so, yeah, I think I think that the, the training, the change management, like, all of that is going to be super, super critical to, to teach everyone how to, to, to use these new spaces and space types. And even in the context of, like space planning, you know, a, a fun thing that I'm running into right now with with, with managers and leaders is is they're still thinking Old world, they're still thinking. Oh, well, I've got this team of x number of people. I need x number of desks, and it's like, well, no, no, no. Like, what are you actually trying to solve? Like, what 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 is the actual you know, the activity or the purpose or how do they need to to work with each other? What's the adjacencies to other teams? Like, l- let me solve the problem for you. You just let me know what the what the what the requirements yes. are. I think it's another uh, opportunity for us <laughs> as as workplace professionals yes, to, to educate leaders.
0: Eric, I think you really hit the nail on the head. I think about years ago when we were orchestrating digital workplace initiatives or projects, some 90% of the budget was typically set aside for turning whatever the it was on, um, a new portal, uh, you know, a new uh, online benefits uh, and total rewards statement, et cetera. And only 10% was reserved for training and change management. We've actually seen quite a dramatic shift such that over 70% of the successful initiatives are um, being invested um, in the whole change management or readiness paradigm. And so the idea that you know digital workplace practitioners once upon a time were largely technologists, now they need to be change makers and being part of a conversation that says, as we are looking to work differently, let us think about what the experience is as a whole. What is the impact on people on every level, right? Not just physically how they're connecting, but the emotional elements that go along with it, the empathy factors we were talking about earlier and uh, and working from there. So I think within our circles, we're going to need to see some reinvestment in training for digital workplace um, professionals to be able to pick on that, you know, added layer as well.
2: Mm-hmm. 100%. And, and I think that, that um, you know, one way I like to talk about workplace in general, it's like, you know, especially with a lot of these tech companies that, that have product teams, they're creating a product, they have an end user, they have a consumer. It's like, we need to be doing the exact same thing for our workplaces. Like who is our end user? Who is our consumer? Of the built environment, of the technology, like, and are we designing for them? Are we shepherding them into this new way of, of operating and, and really kind of learning and iterating and, and modifying things? And uh, rather than you know the old world of just like, if you build it, they will come, or hey, we just updated this app, figure it out. Like, I just we need to do a little bit more uh, due diligence to support our, our consumers.
0: And so, Ryan, let's bring you back into the mix. We've talked a lot about challenges. And I think it's important for us to do some priority setting here as well, as we emerge um, into either additional waves of the pandemic or actually start to move into more of an endemic stage. And so, you know, what do you see yourself advising people vis-a-vis, you know, preparing and and managing the workplace uh, from a priority standpoint?
1: Yeah. Well. I think we've hit on a couple of the key things, but I'm going to I'm gonna put more of a specific point on one of them, which is um, we can't view place uh, as limited as we, as we once did. The concerns that I probably do have a little bit is while it's been awesome to see HR leaders jump into the conversation about workplace and the future of workplace, I've anecdotally heard a fair amount of uh, organizations say that IT may be a little less involved than what they once were because... As 2020 unfolded, many of their digital transformation strategies were accelerated. The focus was on supporting remote. But long term, we have to think about this in terms of people, process, place. Like people are going to be using technology tools to get their work done in a wide variety of locations. And so that, that requires a conversation at the very least where the facilities, the real estate team, and the IT team say, okay, what does this look like? How do we support the use of technology in the environment? Uh, space utilization sensors, smart energy management systems that real estate can't do without IT. And so for all of the good integration in terms of HR and real estate, I personally am hoping that we see a lot more of the conversation with IT dial-up so that Collectively, these teams can just talk a little bit about how do we envision people working um, across these spaces, what's getting in their way, and how can we collectively work together? Because ultimately, um, we are moving into this work-from-anywhere world. Not every organization will embrace that term, and it's probably loaded in some ways. But as I mentioned, this was happening. I mean, organizations hadn't yet really considered how to support work wherever it happens. And now is the opportunity, to the point that Susie and Eric were making, definitely a long-term thing. The change management is huge. The need for communication, not just between those functions, but between those functions and employees, is absolutely critical. And organizations should, uh, at least this is how we've done it, and we think others should, just be transparent, and say, hey, we're, we're moving into an era where things are going to change. We're probably going to stumble a little bit, but there's very good reasons for doing it. Higher flexibility can result in higher productivity, more engaged employees, more equitable work experiences. But there's a lot of stuff to be worked out, and you just have to do it together over the coming years.
2: Ryan, I'd, I'd love for you to repeat that louder for the people all the way in the back, <laughs> just, just, so everyone, just so everyone heard you.
1: Yeah, yeah. no, you know, I, I will say trying to tuck hybrid work into a return to office strategy isn't going to happen. I mean, you can, you can try it, but there's so many strings to pull that eventually you go, oh, I think we're on a couple year journey here, and you are. That's just the reality of it. But it's a journey that's kind of making the organization congruent with where the work was going anyway, and it's way more resilient. Organizations don't want to be caught off guard in the future. Another pandemic, social unrest, environmental uh, concerns. You can't be place dependent in terms of where you work. You've got to be able to create an agility within the organization that says, you know what, no matter what happens, our work will continue, our culture will thrive. And that's the journey these organizations are getting on.
0: So agile thinking, absolutely important. It's not just reserved for IT and a methodology. It's got to be the way we're thinking about things. And the other is a a tolerance for ambiguity, because um, we're likely to see lots of changes coming and people need to be able to be responsive um, as well as help influence the changes that need to follow next. Susie, I want to bring you back in. What are you thinking about? Because I'm sure you're you're nodding your head as we're going along just as much in this leg of the conversation, too.
3: Yes, I, I am. And um, yes, and say it as loud as you can. I, I think, gosh, I think there are so many different things. And it's, especially thinking about prioritizing, um, that's the hardest part for me because I feel like, oh, I'm the kind of person that wants to do everything all at once. Um, But I think for me, talking about this agile thinking, a lot of that, when you drill down kind of a little bit deeper, for me, being able to be agile and to kind of iterate over time comes down to two things. The first one is setting yourself up for um, continuous feedback and being able to really dig into what the needs are of, of the people or the consumer, as Eric put it. And really understand uh, not only what they say that they want or need, but what their actual behaviors are showing us that they want and need. Um, Because I think that those are two different things. And then I think also, and this is related to that, that first point, but the second one is setting ourselves up with the right tools so that we can be gathering the right data so that we can understand who we are as a as a company over time and kind of project where we're going. So I know I've, I've touched on that previously, but um, when I think about Braze and where we are right now, um, and I'm like Eric, I'm fairly new to Braze, but in terms of where we are right now, I think there's some opportunity for us to really understand what are some of the metrics that we need to be redefining and where can we kind of make some adjustments um, so that we can be a little more purposeful moving forward and make these changes, as we were saying over time. And I think, you know, I think companies approach things very differently. There are some companies I've heard that are just like, all right, we're all in, let's make let's go from one end of the pendulum swing all the way to the other and just see what sticks. Right. And then um, there are some companies that are like, I I don't know, let's just, let's just kind of tiptoe our way towards that change and slowly bring people along. And no matter which approach companies take, I think the important part is that they're setting themselves up in a way where they can be flexible to continue to make that change over time, because the the environment or the situation that we see ourselves in, in right now, I mean, we've all learned this this past year and a half um, is not what it's going to look like in three months or in six months or you know two years from now. And so it's it's less about you know what are the actual changes we're making, but more about what's the what, how are we setting up our process for making changes? If that makes sense.
0: Very well said. And so um, we're down to our final minutes together. So I have just two more questions for each of you. The first one is. What are the two must-haves for successful hybrid workplaces going forward? Maybe we, we can just continue with you, Susie, and then we'll move on to Eric and Ryan.
3: Sure. Yeah, gosh. Um, I, I'm wondering if this answer is is a little more vague than maybe people are expecting, but I think for me, the first thing that comes to mind goes back to what we were talking about in bringing uh, bringing our team members along. And so that comes down to training and training managers on how to manage hybrid workforces, training employees on remote empathy, training people on how to use uh, different workspaces. And and I think that's really what's going to help us build support for a culture of remote work. But I think the, the second thing would probably be communication, and they're very much related. But we have to help uh, employees understand what to expect and what's expected of them. And we want to make sure that they have a clear understanding of the options that they have and the process um, of of how to use those options or, or dial into those options. So empowering our employees to be able to do their best work.
0: Love that, Susie.
2: Yeah, I, I would definitely plus one, one hundred percent highlight, underline everything Susie just said. I, I'm I'm right there with you. I think it it, you know, I, I think we it, it would behoove us to to kind of move away from just throwing money in, and, and at the problem, like throwing like technology and throwing like new furniture. I mean, sorry, Ryan, <laughs> to say that, but I think <laughs> I think it, it all it all does matter, but like it's only going to be as effective. If we do our due diligence to communicate and to educate and work on all of the soft touches to make sure that we're using all of that the way it's supposed to and that's the, 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 the objects are not going to solve our problem. the technology is not going to solve our problem it, it can support us, it can enable us, but I think that in order to to have a successful hybrid workplace ecosystem like we need to be over communicating we need to be documenting we need to be writing things down we need to be like really clear and transparent across the board um, and the other thing too that i i uh, we've kind of touched upon the the team specific experience you know from a cultural perspective from a you know, collaboration perspective you know Ryan even mentioned like you know, neighborhoods and and how they're going to work in the built environment but I'm really concerned you know we, we have all these teams that are you know I think LinkedIn announced uh, yesterday their their kind of hybrid plan and they were very ex- explicit that the the teams were going to be allowed to kind of self organize well, wait a minute, our, our teams actually have to work with each other. Like, are we communicating across the org? Like, is there like a matrix that shows what every team is doing? Because if I'm working with the product team, like I need to kind of know, like, what's your plan? Because if it doesn't jive with ours, I'm going to show up at the office and we're not going to be able to, to partner in the way that we think we are. So yeah, I think the communication and just kind of getting all that stuff out there is going to be super critical, as well as all of the, 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 the new furniture types and spaces and all the things we're doing from a physical standpoint.
0: I think that makes so much sense. And it, hearing you speak made me think back to a workshop we were running several years ago with an organization that will remain nameless, um, but Fortune 1000 scale organization, and we have something called Digital Workplace Maturity Benchmarking that we do, and we brought the results into the workshop, and we were trying to get the team to talk about um, not only the results of where they were, but what they needed next to be successful, and we were seeing this dynamic quite a lot across uh, client organizations at that time what they thought was they needed to throw more technology at people. And what the results were actually showing was that people didn't know all of the tools that were already out there or how to utilize them properly. So you don't get ROI on your investment if people aren't utilizing the capabilities that you've brought forward, whether they're on the, the level of places or tools or policies. So what you've just described is is just fundamentally important. We need to invest time Time in our, our people, in order to be able to allow them to be empowered, as Susie described, in new and different ways. There is, um, you know, the table stakes are changing, and we have to lean into that and and start to facilitate those changes. Okay, Ryan, your turn. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I I mean, I'll just add a few uh, additional things because I'm in agreement with what we're talking about. I think two-way communication is important, and ideally organizations would have some way of getting feedback from people in terms of how they feel their workplace experiences are going, and more specifically, what types of activities or experiences they feel need to be better supported. So I think communication is really important, but it needs to be two ways. And then if I get spatial just for a second, um, I think people need to go into environments where they see that there's some variety. They need to know that some of what they could do at home is supported, but more importantly, that the space supports things that are tougher to do. In their homes. And so this whole move away from generic to some sort of interesting variety is important. And these spaces definitely need to have a a social interpersonal dynamic, because for all of the organizations out there debating, what are we going to do to get people in on Fridays? You know, Should we do cookies or whatever? The the reality is people will come into the office when other people are in the office. And so finding a way of making these environments to be really important culture hubs where people can interact in a really, really casual and fun way is the key to making them desirable, which is the key to getting better space utilization, better return on investments for your real estate. We need to move away from just the old assumption that you give people a certain amount of square feet and expect that they're going to come in.
0: Well said. Thank you for adding that, Ryan. I guess um, we're really close to time now. So I just wanted to open things up to each of you just to ask if you have a final reflection or a challenge or or thought that you want to leave our
3: audience with. Why don't you lead us off, Susie? As I think about this, for me, the future of work is exactly, Ryan, what you were just touching on. It's about options and giving people choice, which in a way is a trust-based system, trust that people know what's best for them or what works for them, but also trusting them that they'll be using um, the options that are given to them wisely um, and in a way that is, is good for the company. And so I love that personally because I love the human aspect of workplace and i think that's really what it all comes down to and when i think about giving people an opportunity to make those choices it allows them to really hone in on what's right for them for their families for their personal lives for their personal goals for um you know, all of these things that are beyond just what work is about. And like I was saying in the beginning, it's not just about get up, go to work, come home. It's now a part of your life. And for some people, they don't like that, but they have the choice to set the boundaries that they want to set. And for other people, they love that. They love that aspect of work from anywhere. And they have the choice to be able to do that. And I just love that.
0: And depending on where you are, you know, sometimes it's about work life balance and sometimes it's about work life integration and having that flexibility is really important. Eric, final thought.
2: Well, I just want to say thank you. This has been a great conversation. It's it's uh you know, I have a podcast myself, so I'm used to being the one to ask the question, so it's been nice to to be on the, the answering side of things. Um, you know, I, I think that it it's you know, it's interesting right now. You know, I'm, I'm based in San Francisco. Uh, you know, I was just in LA for work. And I, I think there's a lot of, you know, concerns and anxiety of like, oh no, here we go again with, you know, mask mandates. And, you know, it, it just feels like this is, we're in this kind of perpetual state of just kind of like, are we going back? Are we not going back? And I, I just want to make sure that we're all like, Taking care of ourselves first and foremost. I, I think the, the mental health piece, and kind of, kind of, you know, Susie, what you had me making, th- uh, what you were making me think of, is is just the, the mental health aspect to, to everything we're talking about. And I, I just think that the over, you know, communication piece and the trust piece and all of these things. You know, at the end of the day, we're we're humans, and we're all going through this kind of shared collective experience in, in different kind of forms and iterations, uh, depending on our, our you know our personal circumstances. But I. I I just think it's going to be really critical for for companies to move forward to to just really kind of create a little bit more of a of a forum for for these dialogues to happen and or communicate and, and instead of just focusing on like well how do we get pe- people back to the office like are we engaging them in a dialogue on 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 like well, what what are you going to be coming back to what are we asking you to return to um, and can that be a little bit more of a, a co collaboration and a little less of a of a mandate. Um, you know, even, even you know, if it's a hybrid or a fully in office experience. I just, I think that the communication piece as it links to the mental health piece is just gonna be critical as as this pandemic continues to move forward, uh, unfortunately. So um, with all that said, I'm, I'm optimistic, you know, I, I try to stay hopeful. And I, I think that uh, the, the more we have conversations like this, the better.
0: And so we shall. I think we um, have a platform to have lots of good conversation like this and um, look forward to staying connected with with, with all of you to make sure that we can amplify these messages, especially as we start to move some of those uh, TBDs that uh, both of you were talking about um, into some, some tangible things that uh, give people thought to grow on. So Ryan, of course, I have to come back to you for a final, final <laughs> reflection.
1: <laughs> My final, final reflection is that the post-pandemic world uh, is much more employee-centric, meaning the, the power balance has shifted towards the employee. Um, and that's not a bad thing because we're all employees. But what I mean by that is uh, it will never be easier to go find a job somewhere other than your local city <laughs> than it will be in the future. Organizations are looking to recruit and keep the best talent from around the world. And that means that the organizations that have that talent need to begin thinking about what it means to accommodate this higher level of flexibility and this higher level of employee centricity. What that means at a a more practical basis is that if you work in IT or if you work in communications or you work in facilities of real estate, you've probably got established ways of doing things. Existing solution standards, existing policies that you might need to reevaluate. And the best way we think is not to go into some massive wholesale shift, but to begin prototyping and trying new things like now the next year or two is a time to pilot. It's a time to communicate with employees in new ways. Let them know that you're trying to solve their needs in new ways and try to figure out what are good, good long-term solutions through good experimentation. And so as as important as it is for many of us to maintain the scale and the efficiency of what we do, whatever that is, we've got to get better at innovating and experimenting to try to make what we do more employee-centric as well.
0: That's the perfect closing note. Thank you so much for that, Ryan. And of course, I have to take a moment to thank each and every one of you for coming into the studio today for a truly fascinating conversation. So a big thank you to you, Susie, Eric, and of course, Ryan, and uh, we'll look forward to continuing the conversation another time.
1: Awesome. Thank you.
3: Thank you very much. This was
0: great. Thank you. Digital Workplace Impact is brought to you by the Digital Workplace Group. DWG is a strategic partner covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry, not only through membership, but also benchmarking and boutique consulting services. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com.